Well, boys, looks like you started the fun without me. You're all sick. Every last one of you. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger gun. What's the matter? You scared of things that go boom? My name is Eric, and I'm about to win a $5 standoff with Michael Kester. Oh, yeah? <laughs> this is Double Feature, where, yep. mm -hmm. where there are many a standoff. Right. And uh, Today, there are extra standoffs, by the way. So there are, yeah. Double standoffs, or what do we got here? I think we got a double standoff, double feature. But the theme is really, you know, violence and lawlessness. Okay. Well, that's a good place to have a stand. You don't want to have a standoff where there's law. That's right. No. <laughs> those things sure. don't work out right. so well. Don't invite police to your standoff. That's a bad <laughs> idea for everyone, especially black people. All right. So the first movie is, and I told you this the other week, it's in a valley of violence. A, Interesting. That's what a, it's a $5 valley in a valley. Me. Cool. Not right. the let's valley. Just, there's many just, valleys of violence. This is just one of them. So unlike previous shows, the other movie is Guillermo del Toro's Devil's Backbone. Uh, but unlike previous shows this year, when we say to go back to Citizen Kane and Godfather, I'm going to invite everybody to just go back to last week's show. Just <laughs> go back to What's last that? week's show where we placed that bet and just, you know, make sure we're all above board on that. No, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. You'll get <laughs> spoiled. You don't want to get spoiled on whatever fucking movies we just did. What did we just do? God, the show. I swear to you. I saw In a Valley of Violence and then I just forgot about everything that's ever happened. So uh -huh. that's how much I enjoyed that. Yeah. We are going to spoil that though. And, I would love uh, to spoil that. There are very specific plot things that are very specifically spoilers. Yeah. And also it's a great movie. Just skip it if you haven't. Skip us yapping about it for 24 minutes if you haven't seen it. Because The Devil's Backbone people have seen. Most people, yeah, I was, I think is, I was one of the last people to see that back when I did the 31 Days of Horror last year. I kind of stuck that on there and every, that was, that was one of a couple movies where people went, you haven't seen that? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah I say that to myself on The Devil's Backbone. That's one of those. <laughs> but at exactly 24 minutes, suspiciously at exactly 24 minutes, we'll be all done with everything we could want to say about In a Valley of Violence and we will be onto The Devil's Backbone where you will no longer be spoiled on the first film, but instead the second film. Mm -hmm. There is a uh, thing that I was not prepared for at all, which is listeners. <laughs> <clears throat> now I know what you're thinking. You don't have any number sheets in front of you. You can't possibly really be ready for this show because, uh, you know, listeners and stuff probably mm -hmm. did things. Well, first of all, I will tell you, you're wrong. In the time I was yapping, I did pull up a uh, spreadsheet here. And secondly, these movies were both your choice to pair. Yes, they were. But I would still like to talk about people who aren't you. If that's, I mean, if you're okay with, I realize this is your episode. I don't want to sure, step yeah, on your- Right, uh, this right. one is my episode. This one. <laughs> well, I think the best, you know, if I was going to try I and make you a- to I invite you to, in, in four weeks, we'll talk about which episode <laughs> was my episode. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think we might be giving somebody some credit on that. If I were to choose, all right, so I have a, a Michael Kester double feature in front of me, and I have to pick out a trailer before the Michael Kester double feature. I have found the perfect one. 
that is available to us, which is savory swing dance classes in <laughs> Australia. So if you live in Australia, you can go to savorydance.com.au, AU because it's Australian. You can't go if you're not in and Australia? No, can't no, go no. To that it, website? It's still, it, does, it should block out IPs from outside in an effort to save bandwidth. But let me tell you, it does not because I am on it right the second. And uh, it's a really well-designed website. Actually, it makes me want to, oh, look, and it's even got a little black and white throwback picture. This is so great. I love everything about this website. It's built on WordPress. What could you not like? So you can swing your way through 2017 on here. It's true. These are lessons specifically to, you know, Australia's a pretty big place. I kind of need more to go on than that. Do you think this is just anyone anywhere in Australia? You book this and then drive, you know, 11 hours. From what I understand about Australia is there are three cities and then probably the rest of the country not interested in swing dancing based on my understanding of Australia. Yeah, this would have been way, way better for uh, next week's episode. But it's funnier (laughs) for this week's episode because if you go out and do it this week, then you'll be able to play along next week's episode. Sure. And uh, I don't know where in Australia it is, though, despite... What's that website again, though? That is <laughs> Saver Dance, S-A-V-O-Y... Wow. S-A-V-O-Y-D-A-N-C-E dot com. So it's more like Savoy Dance. The Y sounds like an R. It is Savoy, yeah, because it's at the... Nope, still not it. I was going to say it's at the Savoy Ballroom, but that's just the inspiration for Savoy Dance. I still do not know where it is. But if you go on the website, you will find it because you will have more than a minute or two while you are live on the... Where the fuck is this? Okay, I can't find it. Go there if you're in Australia. If you're not in Australia, fly to Australia. I hope it's in Australia and I didn't somehow fuck that up too. Maybe they just thought the URL was funny. I don't know. It's always a big mystery on Double Feature. (laughs) It's a big fucking mystery. So anyways, that is... uh, from Rami and thanks for supporting our show by the way we'll have more funny things to refer you to in the future of Double Feature I like thinking of them as the trailers I like yeah, thinking I of like these that better. Yeah, strange, we should do that from now on strange things yeah. Yeah, good thing it only took us four fifths of a year to figure I that know. out yeah right okay so there's this movie coming out it's called In a Valley of Violence or that's how I've been uh, how it's been in my head for a while, uh-huh. but it's, it's actually a movie yeah. that's out there. See, that's funny that that's how that was for you. Because for me, I just went, huh, what's Ty West working on? And then I just looked at the draft house, <laughs> a draft house screening schedule for that weekend and went, oh, well, I guess, I guess he did a Western. No, I've, I've heard about this for a long time and it, it became a knock, knock for me. It Interesting. Became, okay. Yeah. It became one of those where I go, ah, oh, is this ever coming out? Oh, it came out, but I still think it's in future tense. And then mm-hmm. I just don't see it forever. Right. But it's, it's, a, it's an important film for a number of reasons. Okay. Um, if you look through, I love the overlap in this stuff. If you look through the credits, there's a special thanks in this movie, actually to both Eli Roth, uh, who did Knock Knock, probably not for that reason, but it's in there. And uh, Lucky McKee. Mm-hmm who were both featured on the show kind of recently. Right. Well, um, when we did Knock Knock and All Cheerleaders Die is what you're talking about. Yeah, You're yeah. speaking about that show where we covered those two together because we are professional film podcast hosts. I, we nail yeah, it because every I, time, all the time. 
the secret theme of that episode was special thanks on yeah. in a valley of violence, right. a film that I had not seen yet. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, we associate a lot of these people who are making modern stuff and they really do work together a lot and communicate a lot. And I think Twitter has been a big kind of reveal in that all of these private conversations that industry people have been having in person are still mostly in person, but you get to see a lot of that online. You get to figure out who knows who and what mm -hmm. kind of stuff they're poking at. And we live in an era now where people who are collaborating or even just sharing ideas, you know, we know that Tarantino and Rodriguez watched Clerks uh, 2 mm -hmm. and gave Kevin Smith notes. You know, mm -hmm. that's not a thing that would have happened 20 years ago, but now we know about all of this. So the movie was filmed it was filmed, uh, uh, shot on Kodak. It was actual film. And mm -hmm. that's one of the other weird things about our show these days is we don't see a lot of things. I don't know if we see anything from 2016 that's shot on film. Well, that's because we haven't covered the Hateful Eight, but yeah. yeah it, okay. So we saw something in 2016 <laughs> that was shot on film. And, uh, and that goes hand in hand with the other thing that I think is, is kind of important about this movie which is that it is put out by Blumhouse, which you wouldn't have right. really thought right. for. I mean, you, when I tell you there's a Ty West Blumhouse movie, you're going to be like, uh-huh, and? I mean, that. so here's why that doesn't surprise me is because of everything else Ty West has ever done, right? That's what you're getting yeah. at. You're yeah. getting at the fact that the thing that I, I told everybody last week, again, just go back and listen to last week's episode. Lots of don't information. There's, there's no reason um, to. But uh, I said, don't go into this double feature expecting horror movies. Um, and I'll be honest, man, I was watching in, in a valley of violence thinking to myself, I mean, this, this could turn into cannibals or something. I mean, it could at any <laughs> oh, moment, really? at any moment, that was a warning be, to your past self. At a, yeah. Oh, totally. There could be, there could be a hail of bats at any moment here. Yeah. Not that I was disappointed in the movie, even in the slight, probably uh, as we talked about, man, these are kindred episodes. As we talked about on the all cheerleaders die episode after it ended, I gave it the bonus points for not being supernatural, right? It got yeah, the bonus, yeah. the bonus points. Does this movie get bonus points for actually just being a fucking Western for real all the way well, through the movie? So that here's why that didn't surprise me. Um, since Alamo draft house exists, uh, the pre-show was all documentary clips about what spaghetti Westerns were and then trailers for Lee Van Cleef movies. Yes. So by the time <laughs> yes. the movie happened, I was sitting there going, well, this shit better be filmed in Italy and starring Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the actually, fact that it was on film and an actual legit Western with was actors super that gratifying. people who don't listen to yeah. double feature know about. Right. Yeah. Well, well, well yeah. For, for today's day, this checks off you know, legitimate Western boxes. Mm -hmm. I mean, to have, you know, if we're going to have a Lee Van Cleef for today, I think uh, John Travolta is pretty close. John Travolta is really, a close Lee Van Cleef. If we were making lots of Westerns, I feel like John Travolta would be in lots of Westerns. I, but I just I, don't think I they're feel plentiful that way now. and popular it, Hindsight being what it is. If you had told me, you know, two hours ago, uh, sorry, we saw two movies. If you had told me five hours ago uh -huh. that... Uh, that I would be thinking, yeah, man, I would love to see John Travolta do more Southern accent shit. Yeah. I would laugh at you. Yeah. But right. instead John Travolta 
delivers this care. It's the, it's uh, okay. So you want to talk about Westerns and we've covered a lot. We haven't covered my favorite because, and again, just, you know, completely being contrarian to our own beliefs. It's really long and we don't usually cover long movies. See the end of this year on double feature. Um, (laughs) the two shortest movies we've ever done. Um, but, and the least orgasm. So (laughs) in, in honesty, John Travolta's character is probably one of the most difficult roles in Western movies ever. And you know, that's a very broad generalization, but you can eliminate all of John Wayne's characters. Those are not difficult. Um, And you can probably also eliminate Clint Eastwood because you can, you can basically eliminate the good guy from any movie and you can also Mm. eliminate the bad guy from any movie. It's almost as if there were some third category, good, bad Travolta. Travolta, yeah, right. The, the good, the yeah. bad, the Travolta. Yeah, actually, I think it would just be the good, the bad, Travolta. That's those are your that's three. Perfectly items. accurate. All no, right. I feel like this this sheriff character at his introduction with the bum leg scene in the in the hotel. Mm-hmm. It seems you know he's in black. He's the character. He's yeah. he's gonna be the big bad, and instead he ends up being the big justice neutral. the whole time he's sitting there going, can we please stop shooting at each other? Can we please stop shooting at each other? I think surprisingly neutral, actually. The, the thing that gets me about his character is that he's not so, it's not that you don't know where he's going to go, but you never suspect him to keep staying neutral. You're Mm -hmm. going, he has to watch out for his son at some point, but to continue to, uh, come up against his son and go, you're such a fucking idiot. Why are you always such an idiot? Instead of, you know, this is my boy and my town and whatever. That's kind of what you you figure he'd do. If I right. just told you the, sure. an, the antagonist in this thing, all I have to describe is what the protagonist is doing. The antagonist wants the opposite in every way. But we have a sub-antagonist who's really, I mean, who really is the antagonist of the film. Mm-hmm. Well, I who's mean- Who's the one going around and unnecessarily fucking everybody's stuff up. It's basically, to, to boil this down to uh, D&D terms, which is something we could probably do a lot more often on the show, to be honest. <laughs> we have a chaotic evil in The Deputy. We mm-hmm. have this character who's basically just gonna do bad shit. That's just, he's a, he's a loose cannon. Uh-huh. Uh, sans results for the record. Right. Um, With poor results. Right. And, and then we have uh, a neutral good in Ethan Hawke where he's, he's definitely not lawful by the, by the, you know, he's, 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 uh, he's moralistic in a lot of ways. Right. Um, But I mean, the first scene he commits a grievous act of violence. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's of course, after leaving the military, which, uh, and again, listen to this year of double feature yeah, Our opinions right. on that. We're not going to touch on too hard. I see but all other episodes. Yeah, he leaves the military, which at the time was definitely considered moralistically bankrupt. Um, mm-hmm. so he's, he's definitely not the lawful good. Um, and then you have a lawful neutral in John Travolta where he's kind of going, I have a hierarchy of, I have a hierarchy of things. My priorities are in a certain order, but for him shockingly and what makes the movie and character work so seamlessly is that his number one priority seems to actually be lawfulness. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, it's above the town and above the sun, his own son. He's his, he kind of has this ultimate priority of the, the right, just thing being done. Well, he says it in the movie, right? He goes, what kind of sheriff would I be? And also what kind of father? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, those are, his, there's his top two right there. Mm-hmm. Sheriff before father. Right. And, you know, he thinks about that a lot, how he plays a role in the, this is such a fucking humanistic movie. It's oh, absolutely. Maybe my favorite Western. I think the themes in this are so, I just latch onto them so much as less, let's use a genre that often talks about this the wrong way or mm-hmm. doesn't talk about it at all. Sure. And, you know, you get into the well, human psyche and what people stand for in these yeah. movies. And it's usually, you know, go put a boot up someone's ass for right. justice. Yeah. Western, <laughs> Westerns easy here. are ultimately always about, about um, justifying violence against somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's, a, there's an entire TV show so named based on the idea of justifiably killing someone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to take a movie where essentially nobody wants to kill anybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, and, and furthermore, nobody's good at it. You yeah, know, it's, it's not just that nobody wants to kill anyone with the, you know, the one murderous exception, the chaotic evil. Yeah. Um, but also that no one's good at killing the only, the only act, the only active attempt at murder, which is, is following the killing of the dog. When they drop him off the cliff, they fuck that up. That's the only time yeah. that somebody who wants to kill somebody like really wants to has zero sure. reservation. Sure. Well, and it's because of the reservations, uh, perhaps Stumpy's reservation, that right. uh, actor who played Stumpy on uh-huh. Carnival, right. yes. who I'm glad still shows up all over the place. I'm very happy about that. And anytime there's, you know, wind and dust and sand and- Sure, he just uh, walks out of things. Yeah. yeah, I'm very, yeah. big thumbs up to that. But to come into this movie and talk about these different humanistic traits and people struggling with whether or not to- obey or how they fit in a small town what are the their own personal dynamics weighed against the fact there's only four other fucking people in this town and that's who you have to interact with how does that change uh society for you how does Mm -hmm. that change what your role is if you're the sheriff but you know half of the town is your son and his friends that kind of makes the role of being a sheriff a little bit different it it pulls you even more than i think it normally Mm -hmm. would and the same thing, you know, with the, as far as I can tell, the only two women in the town. Right. The, this is such a perfect, like, Ty West minimal movie, even mm-hmm. though it's a Western. It's mm-hmm. so funny because it's, I think the most people ever on screen are at the very end where there's three right. extras in yeah. addition to some yeah. of the townspeople. It just fucking kills me. It, uh, you know, it really lets you, to actually look at it minimalistically, it keeps with a couple core characters and unless you really focus mm-hmm. on what the movie's doing in a package that's okay. So, I mean, Ty insisted that he shoot this on film. Basically his right. method is go into a movie and say, we just can't do it on digital. It's just not, we'll point the cameras. Nothing will happen. We just can't do it. And uh, somehow he wins that bluff every time <laughs> people let him shoot on film, which is nuts specifically for how old he is, the crew he works with, 
you know, the people I know that so age. So you're saying because nobody who's on set is old enough to know how to shoot on film. Well, that? that's what I mean, right? Yeah. Is, yeah. you know, the fact he's been making all these movies on film is nuts. I've, nobody I know knows how to shoot on film. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it is such a, you know, people 10 years older than us know how to shoot on film. People 10 years younger than me have never been on a set with film. Mm-hmm. So that's just crazy. But this is a movie that I think really helped break the ongoing slow burn narrative that people like to throw onto Ty West because he sure. did that one movie. Right. And I don't think Innkeepers was very slow burn and uh, Sacrament definitely wasn't a slow burn movie. I would definitely argue that all three of those are slow burn movies. I mean, to some, nothing really beats that nothing one is, where a girl no, walks up the stairs no, for an hour and a half. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> But look at this that movie. Is, that it's is a, almost the, the poster child for slow burn. No one can call this a slow burn movie. It's an hour and a half epic. You know? Totally. It's an yeah. hour and 30 minute no, Western. I mean, any, any movie that opens with a man whistling his dog to sick on somebody, that's yeah. that yeah. movie. I mean, I didn't, I'm, I'm actually glad this is the way we get to invoke this, but that movie is more John Wick than it is a slow burn. It is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a movie, <laughs> yeah, definitely. a movie that opens with kind of this badass, clenched fist, fuck yeah moment like that. It, you know, it sets the stage. It's, it can't unwind to any degree from there. Especially the reason that this is great too for Ty West, I feel, is because in doing his kind of plays with tension in the slower paced movies, you get these really, the bar scene, right? Um, mm-hmm. When he's being taunted to come out of the bar, and, and he you're takes just a moment, you're anxious. It takes so much longer. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. You're thinking, I mean, like, this needs to be answered for, now. You yeah, gotta get up and go do this. He's going. He's talking to you, man. He's talking, and you're sitting there, like on. You're with the bartender. You're like, I mean, if you could just answer him, that'd be fine. That'd be, <laughs> yeah, right. This is really stressful for me right now. Yeah, and I then know. he turns and starts walking toward the dog, and I'm like, oh, he's out the door right now. No, he's still si- he's sitting there. And he's yeah. contemplating. Okay, this is. Th- I'm very stressed out. More and burned than slow. I think definitely, definitely, and and the payoffs tend to be oh, that's man. a perfect scene the payoffs tend to just be pretty pretty quick and to the point <laughs> right well you know this is the two and a half hour version of this film guy goes through the desert meets up with a priest is he good is he bad they have an encounter yeah. guy walks into town gets into a fight he talks to the sheriff and the sheriff tells him to leave and then he leaves the town two and a half hour western Right. Now, somehow, there's twice as much movie as I described, right. and it's in an hour and a half. Right. I don't fucking know how that's even possible. And it doesn't feel rushed at all. No, it do- well, the, again, it's to the point. It's minimalistic. Mm-hmm. You, there's uh, minimal, minimal characters. The set. I mean, the, the one of the things that I really enjoyed about this movie versus most Westerns is that I could draw you a map of the town in my head. Oh, totally. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's, that's great. powerful. It's like Dogville. You know? Right. <laughs> that's powerful because in in a scene where um the the one again to just highlight this movie, one of the greatest scenes in Western history when um Ethan Hawke lures the sheriff out of the prison unarmed and mm-hmm. walks out into the into the street. I know where to look to see the deputy. Yeah. I know yeah, where yeah. he's standing. So when when you kind of see his gun come out from the doorway, I'm sitting there going, "Oh man, is is Ethan Hawke going to see that?" Is Right, right. What, what, and I mean that scene, the way that it 
There's eight buildings and you could draw them all. Yeah, you know? exactly. Well, again, minimalism, right? Yeah. Not a big town. It's beautiful. You keep your budget low by having few buildings and yeah. then that works to your advantage. And you keep your bullet budget low by just doing a quick, you know, suit measurement of John Travolta and going, so how many bullets can we fit in a body this size? Because <laughs> right. that's where they're all going to go. Uh, <laughs> you get so fucked. You get so <laughs> fucked. Yeah. And you know, the, the role of the humanism as it comes around at the end of the film really looks at, I think- uh, well, both of the women in the movie, mm-hmm. one has an arc and the other doesn't. It's the right. characters without an arc that tell us about the characters who do go through something. And, and sometimes when that arc is undone, I mean, that's the main character who's decided not to kill. We get such an easy representation of his innocence and his, you know, he has one companion. Mm-hmm. The fact that the companion cannot talk back and is a pet and we know why he has it means that we've got all of that. We don't have to make it complicated. The, the relationships in this movie, I think are summed up best by the scene with the dog in the bath with the little bubble on his head. Mm-hmm. That's everything you need to know about the relationship <laughs> with the characters in this movie. And, you know, so, so when that becomes the major plot point, uh, and I also think, you know, we've talked about so many dog manipulation movies I don't want to fall for the dog, but you know, when, uh, when he goes, Hey, don't you want your blanket? And he rolls himself up like a little sausage. Uh-huh. I'm just going, Oh yeah, this is about, this is about the most any audience has ever been. Wait, where'd the dog go? <laughs> and then I feel like you've deprived me of other neat dog tricks in the movie, <laughs> but you know, you, you sympathize because, or empathize because you see how important that is to him. It's the last of his humanity. It's the only friend he has, companion, mm-hmm. person he talks mm-hmm. to, fucking reason to right. live. And his entire, his entire motivation for the former half of the movie is, I just want to leave. I just want to leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the whole With time, my dog. I just yeah. pick up the I mean, dog he's and just, he's me just going, I, I'm not even trying to get my family. I, I found a dog. Like, I just, just let me leave with the dog. I'm honestly fine. That in the bathtub is his humanity with bubbles on his head. I don't think we get that kind of visual in the devil's backbone. We have yeah. a giant bomb in the middle yeah. of the town instead. Oh man, I love that. Um, no bubbles, no bubbles on that bomb. So with the devil's backbone, I really want to have kind of a circular, we're going to go tangential, you know, we'll reach out and actually discuss the movie, but I actually want to talk about the devil's backbone through the lens of Guillermo del Toro, because I know we've talked about him on the show a couple of times. We've done a, a few Guillermo del Toro movies. Um, at least yeah, one, actually, right? while we did the, uh, yeah, we did Del Toro once. With Hellboy. With, uh, no, we did. We haven't done Hellboy. Really? Yes. Fact. I've just seen Hellboy too many times <laughs> this, then. This is one of those That's great moments on Double Feature yeah. where Michael has no idea what movies we've done. We just watched Hellboy no, too many we, times. We did his newest one, remember? Oh, Crimson Peak. Perfect. Yeah, we've done Crimson uh-huh. Peak. Um, I can't remember for the life of me what the fuck we did it with, but that was a good show. Yeah. So um, that other movie, I just know by the feeling I have that so I had a good time watching something with that film. One of, one of the uh, things I really want to talk about with The Devil's Backbone in regards to uh, Guillermo del Toro, um, and this is something I want to explore more on the show, not this year, but probably, you know, fingers crossed for another year of Double Feature. Oh God, don't, don't, um, don't, just don't. I want to... Uh, also, The Elephant Man was the movie. Sorry. I want to cover it. There you go. I want to cover more Guillermo del Toro and very specific movies. But I feel like 
with the devil's backbone, it is, we, oh, man, I wish I could remember what other movie. Oh, it was when we covered, um, remember when we did fear and loathing and I said that it mm-hmm. was the most Terry Gilliam movie Terry Gilliam has ever made. Yeah. I feel like this is the most Guillermo del Toro movie Guillermo del Toro has ever made. Um, I could which, see that, which let me say full transparency does not make it my favorite. Um, yeah. I, I am a, I am a, an active, um, my, the case is open on Guillermo del Toro for me. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily have a definitive love for Guillermo del Toro and with, can I, can we call it so, so many, so many syllables del Toro. That's where we're going with that. Um, the devil's backbone feels like del Toro doing his perfect movie. It feels yeah. like the the atmosphere is amazing. I mean, that is the one thing that this movie just owns. And the way it looks and the fact that we're dealing with children in an orphanage mm-hmm. and, you know, we're dealing with the Spanish Civil War and, you know, we're dealing with kind of ghosts of wrongfully murdered people. So this it's it's a, a very well-articulated movie and it's packed with with stuff just packed with ideas and do you feel like del toro goes through waves because i uh i'm doing that thing where i say something by asking you a question sorry i feel like del toro has gone through some waves in his career i don't know if i looked at his recent stuff if i would i think if you asked me 10 years ago about the devil's backbone i'd be like that's every fucking movie he makes see that's the point i wanted to make with where i was going (laughs) i i don't think that's true now though um at well, some point, I think that shifted into movies with robots and movies think, with gothic castles. I and, think there's definitely two Del Toros. There's Blockbuster Del Toro and there's Nuance Del Toro. Uh, and is it that easy? It might be that no, easy. No, absolutely not. Because Crimson no. Peak is a blockbuster, right? So fuck that. But, um, but, but what I was kind of getting at with The Devil's Backbone is that it feels like he has packed it with all of the themes he loves to actively discuss and explore. Mm-hmm. And then he kind of went, man, I would like to do a little bit more exploration on like the imagination of children during the Spanish Civil War. And then there goes Pan's <laughs> Labyrinth. He goes, yeah, I, yeah. I really feel like there's more to say about a creepy orphanage. Or he goes, uh-huh. I really wish I could do something that dealt with, you know, like underground corpses of wrongfully murdered individuals. <laughs> uh-huh. You see my point? Yeah. I feel like the devil's backbone touches on all these things. And del Toro goes, I feel like, I think in retrospect, del Toro would make a seven hour devil's backbone film that just incorporated all the movies that don't have, um, that don't have Doug Jones. You think uh, maybe there could be like a, a shared universe kind of thing yeah, going on. That's, with the- that's, that's probably the best way to put it like is I feel like, working. How does Mimic fit in that universe? Mimic doesn't Mimic. We're not talking oh, Mimic. I refuse okay. to talk Mimic. Um, I think it's weird though. When I saw this movie visually, it put me in Mimic world right away. And that's just age. That whole time I was, <laughs> I was sitting there going, yeah, this isn't like Mimic, is it? Why do I keep no. thinking about Mimic? Get mm. the fuck out of here, Mimic. <laughs> this, is, this movie has literally the Light. least to do with... <laughs> I don't even know if that's true. I think that's... It's more light than Mimic does. Yeah. Yeah, so the other thing that came to mind immediately with this bomb was, you know, that it's t- such a, a fallout kind of piece of iconography, a t- you know, a town built around a bomb right. or, or vice versa. 
sorry, I'm thinking of that like the developers. Like, mm-hmm. what do we do? Let's put a bomb there and then build the town around it. Uh, but rather a bomb that sits in the middle of the town, which is a metaphor for basically everything a bomb could be a metaphor for. Mm-hmm. You know, if you could apply that to anything, all of that stuff's layered in. But there is an extra bit of tension, I think, uh, when the bomb is ticking. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go up and listen to it and go, ah, there's something in there, it's still alive. And that's more terrifying than the ghosts to me. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, something that I think just having an empty dead bomb in the middle of the town would still put me on edge. Sure. But for somebody to go, oh, it's ticking, it, there's an immediate emergency to a thing you've lived with every day. Right. You wake up and go, well, there's the old bomb in the front yard. And then someone goes, it's ticking. And you're like, oh my God, bomb. <laughs> it's as if it just landed there right. from, you know, from out of nowhere, even though you're used to seeing it. And God, of course, that's layered with metaphor too. But uh, I want to avoid a lot of that because there's so much of it and it could go. This is one of those things that, you know, you, you open this discussion and uh, high school English class mm-hmm. and you do this for the rest of your semester. Yeah. You just, no, this is, it's definitely one of the, one of, definitely one of the densest movies we've covered in a while. That's saying something definitely also one of the densest del Toro films. And I think too, <clears throat> it's kind of a, one of those cheese sandwich uh, classroom metaphors. Right. We did that on an AC and I can't fucking remember <laughs> what it was. The one with Alice and Janney in it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was the last AC. Uh-huh. No, that wasn't. That was the first AC of this year. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go on. Uh, the Margaret was the movie. Yes. Margaret. I call it Margaret. Just... You call it, you call it in the Valley of Violence. No. Yeah. But that movie had a great scene. If you haven't seen the movie where, uh, someone is giving their ridiculous, you know, high school English. Here's what I think it's about. And then going on and on about all this nonsense. And the teacher goes, you know what? No, not that one. That theory is not what it's doing at all. And that's how I feel about this film is that you could look at it and make so many things out of Mm -hmm. it. The stuff that happens uh, physically, tangibly in the movie, those are the things that I think cut through to me so much. And also, I mean, leave me with a lot of questions. You know, you have this, even the very mechanism of there's a ghost in the town. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this is a supernatural movie. I think this might come all the way up to the ghost in the town doesn't really do much except Mm -hmm. in fact, it doesn't even answer a lot of questions. It kind of just shakes you around and goes, there's some disturbing stuff that happened here. Right. Yeah. Anyways, you're probably going to die. See ya. It's almost kind of a (laughs) visual manifestation of the feeling of something's off in this town. Totally. Totally. Um, I don't think it's that much different than the bomb, except for the fact that the bomb is always out there and something might happen, whereas the ghost is never there, but might show up. Right. Well, and two, I think, again, to go back to what I was saying last week, this is not much to my disappointment during 31 Days of Horror last year. Not as much of a horror movie as Mm -hmm. it's often touted to be. Um, It does have a violent, murder of a child and that child turns into a ghost that bleeds vapors. And so the visuals are definitely frightening, Mm -hmm. but I think one of the things that makes the, that sets this movie apart from a lot of things like that is that the tone never feels dreadful. Yeah. Um, 
It's this is feeling familiar, maybe to yeah. every other Guillermo del Toro movie. It feels well. I no, I would. Something. I would definitely say that Crimson Peak has a certain dread to it. Um, yeah, but I think it's a friendly dread. I yeah, think it, it's a fantastic there's, dread. There's a yeah, thing there's, that that lays in a lot of del Toro movies that you know again is its own metaphor. But we find out there are these horrifying ghosts, sure. these demons, these things out there. And they look like they are, you know, they're scary as hell. And then it turns out they're just Casper. Mm -hmm. Everybody is just a misunderstood. They just want to hang out here. They just have a little story to tell you. There's kind of this fascinating element to treating the afterlife like a fantastic realm. And I think that that's something that Del Toro is one of the only people that ever does that. Uh, maybe Tim Burton would be another. Well, I was going to uh, say it's, Tim Burton. It's a little the parents and Beetlejuice, right? Just it's, sort of going. We look horrifying. We're nice to hang out with. Right. It's just something we got to do. It's kind of you know when you think of um, you think of fantasy films and your realms tend to be the dragons realm or the sea gods realm and the, all those career you know the the trolls from under the earth or whatever. You have all these kind of even vague when you're not talking about just middle earth or just elder scrolls or just the you're not going to make fucking... a Danish trolls joke. I, I really <laughs> thought that was coming. Um, <laughs> I thought this whole thing was just working the, right the up to the golden that. compass. Uh, right. you, you have, there's, there's a, there's, there's a like-mindedness, right? Uh, the idea of a centaur is a completely made up thing, but centaurs will look the same in Lord of the Rings, in Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, in Greek mythology. They all look the same. For some reason, nobody is really willing to be like, no, centaurs actually just have tentacles for ears. Um, well, it's like alien abduction in real life. Right. It's not actually happening to anyone, but everybody tells the story of the same looking right. thing because they all saw that one movie. <laughs> Um, but I feel like Guillermo del Toro treats the realm of the dead as another kind of ghosts are just another fantastic beast that exists in this universe. Right. And they all look the same, but they're not all nefarious. You know, it's uh, the unfortunate reality of a ghost is that it has some sort of unfinished business, usually resulting from a violent early death. Yeah, well, that's what makes the friendly ghost thing interesting is that is not to say that Del Toro movies, man, even think about Hellboy, right? A bunch of people who have to deal with looking scary but are off to help you. Uh, but that doesn't mean his films are without antagonist. Right. Usually no, what it in means- In this one, the antagonist is the bear Jew from Inglorious Bastards. Jacinto, yeah. Yeah, well, he, <laughs> you, can't, you can't call him the bear Jew and then we're going to talk about how he's trying to steal the gold. <laughs> that's, I don't think that's okay. Let's put the gold off on somebody else. All right. Not the, let's pay, uh, let's blame, uh, we have a useless pile of gold. You can't really spend it. Let's blame the son Glenn Beck. Right. I mean, that yeah. seems, that seems like a better, this is what you get for listening to Glenn Beck. You have all this, uh, all this gold. You can't do anything with it. Um, they acquire this gold, by the way, by selling what, fetus juice that yeah. helps with hard ons. Yeah. Fetus juice. I'm sorry, could we just talk about the absurdity of that for a minute? <laughs> like, that's part of the explanation. Like, oh, you were wondering about how we acquired all this gold. Well, let me tell you, when you need to store your fetus in a jar, we've got the juice for you. And also, it helps with hard-ons. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure that, that 
answered more questions than it well, opened. But I favorite, do know I don't want the answers to the questions it opened. My favorite part about that conversation is that he goes, I'm kidding. It doesn't help with hard-ons and then just drinks it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Jacinto wants this gold and he'll kill everybody for it. So the much like a lot of the other Del Toro movies, the evil is scarier in that it's human. And that's what I love about these movies is that we experience supernatural type things, but they are, they're more, you know, the mentor figure, the sidekick, mm-hmm. the person who we go to for more information or, you know, mm-hmm. is, is fucking up an otherwise perfectly right. good story, right? You have a thing, you are at point A, you need to get to point B and damn it, there's also a ghost walking in parallel like <laughs> right. what's that doing yeah. over there i hope yeah i hope his movie doesn't it's, fuck with mine it's kind of yeah it's kind of as if the ghost is has a b plot but yeah, it yeah, can't yeah. move its own plot along <laughs> right until because it's a ghost and it can't pick its own plot up because yeah, the plot goes go. right through its fingers there you go right <laughs> yeah so so it's going do your thing but also mm-hmm. it points at stuff and goes please please move my plot along. Yeah. If while you're walking from point A to point B, if you could move that dresser drawer a little bit that way <laughs> and also pick that, uh, pick that yeah. chair up, throw it out the window. Just, yeah. I, it, I well, need it to be down there. It's just kind of, it just that. kind of, it goes, it goes that dresser's in my way and the move, the person's going, okay, well I'm, I'm in the middle of, of trying to, to, you know, stop this guy from raping somebody, but yeah, I'll move the dresser and then the dresser moves and a key falls out and the kid looks at the ghost and goes, did you want me to find the key? And the ghost goes, Ooh, I'll never tell and vanishes. <laughs> Right. Right. And then he picks up the key and doesn't need it for the rest of the film. Right. That's, that's how that goes. There's a scene after the credits where the ghost comes back and goes, seriously, though, you're, you're done. Give me the, I need the key. Can you, can you unlock something for me downstairs? I don't have hands. I'm sorry. So what that leaves then is people to be the evil oh, sorry, driving force. Yes. Right. That's the point you were making. I apologize. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could just hang out with the ghost the whole movie. Double Feature is the movie that That's learns that the evil is people, but hangs out with the ghost. I expected <laughs> to hang out with the ghost the whole movie. Uh, yeah, well, sorry, you got a job to do, my friend. Well, I'm interested in this character because he goes so mad over time. And that's one of the things where, you know, while we're playing with all these metaphors everywhere else, my interests are back with the people going, if this guy came up in the orphanage, at what point did he take a wrong turn? and decide he's going to burn everyone he's ever known in order to get some gold that may or may not be in someone's foot or leg. You know, that seems like a, uh, it seems like another long story that we didn't get, but we do see, I mean, we see one of his worst crimes and this has happened so many fucking times on double feature, but uh, someone's head gets accidentally sort of bashed in. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times we've seen, a right. minor struggle where someone falls, but then cracks right. their head open and is murdered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, when he gets this gold, even when he gets the gold, he's, he's poetically weighed down by it so much that it's his undoing. I like seeing that more than I like thinking about, oh, well, the, the ghost is getting revenge. So I do still think that ghost is, is a side thing, but it's also a reminder and a uh, sort of a provocateur, I guess. Well, and of, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Well, and to, to go back to kind of the overarching theme of today's show, it's also kind of an arbiter of justice. It's going, no matter how violent you have to be, you're justified. Look what happened. You know, it's kind of this, it's this ever present remind. It's, I mean, it's, 
it's basically the equivalent of wearing the ghost as a cross around your neck, right? Mm-hmm. This is all you need yeah. to justify doing the crazy shit you're about to do to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I love doing this show with you. <laughs> I, just, I just adore it. I adore it. Well, I mean, I think the fact that the one with the ghost around their neck is the kid and is not uh, Jacinto is the problem. Right. If the ghost were following him around, it would be haunting him, reminding him of a bad thing he did. Right. Instead, he doesn't but that's pay remorse. any attention to that. And yeah, there's right, a difference right. between remorse and justice. Well, that's absolutely true. That's the whole conf- that's why I think the movie goes so wrong in the end or why the uh <laughs> sounds terrible. Why the um the conflict happens at the end because you have a character who who didn't have remorse. They had fear. They mm-hmm. fled. They wanted to hide this. It's a it's a dark secret, which is perfect for a fucking ghost movie. Another great Del Toro staple. Dark secrets that only the <laughs> ghosts true. know. Yeah. Dark secrets. Walls. Dark secrets is probably going to be like the name of the movie where he's officially tired of making movies. <laughs> dark like secrets. Guillermo Del Toro's dark secrets. <laughs> right. You know, like Tim Burton's Dark yeah. Shadows. Is kind that? of. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. No. Tim Burton's was Big <laughs> Fish. He was like, it's a movie that's bigger than you expect. <laughs> I see you small, also remember the tagline. Small story, big vision. Right. And then, yeah, Del Toro in 2025 will be Guillermo Del Toro's return to filmmaking with dark secrets. <laughs> it's so good. I feel like we should be stealing that. I don't know what we would do except make fun of Guillermo Del Toro with it. I mean, we could pick every director and just do like a fake trailer for their quintessential last. I got a YouTube channel idea for you. It was a Vine (laughs) idea, but it can't, it won't work on Vine anymore. Right, right. Since Vine's all chip spice. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Rest in porn, chip spice. If there's anything else in here. The one other theme we didn't talk about that again is uh, not a stranger to some of his other films. Army of Violent the, Children. Uh, well, an army certainly. I don't know about a Violent mm-hmm. Children, but um, the innocence during warfare, the mm-hmm. sort of yeah, uh, the children as the kernel of all of us that used to exist. Sure. Kernel was a bad sure. word for warfare, right? right. But no. you, you know, what I I'm understood about. exactly what you're talking okay, about. Okay, yeah. I just want to bust myself mm-hmm. on the accidental pun before you did. But before war, we all maintain this kind of uh, humanism, right? I mm-hmm. mean, we maintain the things that we try and find in, mm-hmm. in a valley of violence. Yeah. And both of these movies, to me, were looking at the corruption of our own humanity mm-hmm. by something that has uh, really, I mean, has possessed it. That's sure. it's just as simple sure. as that. It really has taken over for some reason because either we buried it deep or it's come out from some other part of humanity. Mm-hmm. There are other forces at work that have br- brought out terrible in us. Mm-hmm. And when you look at all of the Spanish Civil War stuff, a thing that Del Toro gets back to, and you know, Pan's Labyrinth as well, is here are people who still have the innocence during war, and mm-hmm. here's how they hold on to it. Right. Sure. And, you know, these are, I mean, these are great themes that people relate to because right. no one fucking likes war. No one right. likes war. Right. 
And so everybody goes, wow, wouldn't it be nice if we out oh, the children to be innocent sure. again? To I mean, another shoot uh, your neighbors and just to, just to be completely cyclical and pat ourselves on the back. Another way to illustrate um, innocence during war is to abandon your battalion and find a sweet little dog to spend the rest of your life with. <laughs> right. That's another right. way to find innocence during wartime. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, so many of these themes weren't intentional. Mm-hmm. And I've described, uh, I've described The Devil's Backbone over and over as a movie with a lot of open themes. But I feel like when we're not even wandering around in metaphor, just the things that are, are blatant surface plot stuff are some of the most important things and some of the things that tie in with, uh, you know, a Western like In a Valley of Violence, probably a lot of things that came before it, which is great. Doublefeature.fm is where you can see the one other Del Toro movie we did. Actually, you can't see it there. You can hear us spoil it, but... You, we don't sell movies. You can't. The website won't help you with that. Uh, you could ask Michael on Twitter if he'll watch it with you. That's at Pling Michael. Mm-hmm. I'm probably too busy, but it's at underscore ericx 13 I will reply and say no. So if you just want to send your uh, macaroni tweet, send your will you watch the Devil's Backbone mm-hmm. tweet with me. Right. And uh, what was that other thing we were asking people? Uh, what is the best Jade Gate you've ever seen? <laughs> I'm sorry. What, what was that? Sorry. Uh, what's the what's the best vagina you've ever seen? What is the what did you call that? Something else. <laughs> okay, I have tape of this. I could go back and just. What's your favorite vagina? Okay, um, we have to get out of here. What are we doing next time? Uh, next time on the show, we're gonna we're going to uh, some weird places with some weird rules. That's that's how we're gonna do this. Um, All right. So next time we're going to cover Footloose, which is a film I have not seen. Um, going to be completely honest. I, Interesting. This is a this is a a film of much legend that I've never bothered. I assume I've I I have assumed to this point that I've seen all I need to see. Um, probably going to be wrong. Actually, I know I'm going to be. I've, yeah. I've, I've, yeah, yeah, I know. We I have know. an interesting conversation about why you should have watched Footloose to tune into next week yep. when you didn't watch Footloose. Right. But go watch it. Um, and then we're you can pairing, be pleasantly surprised like us about yeah. how double feature it is. We're pairing that with um, Fantastic Planet, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a French stop motion animated movie, and it's gorgeous. Just a beautiful, strange science fiction film. You know who I think is going to like that is Seth Hanasek, Liam Duffy, Christopher Peterson, Jeremy Mumenthaler, Athena Banks, Tom Comey. Jim Moriarty, Eric Tachik, and also Charles Crawford, who are the executive producers of our show. Incidentally, incidentally, they are. Uh, so yeah, Footloose, Fantastic Planet, films, watch fucking more of them. <laughs> Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 